and welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute. I'm Johnny McFarlane, joining me today is the Jack Dalton and Cliff Booth of the Football Scotland podcast. Yes, that's a reference to Quentin Tarantino's new film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that we've all seen. Gents, shall we do a quick review? Well, I'm just saying, if we're the Cliff Dalton and um, Booth of this podcast, is this podcast going to be overly long and have quite an underwhelming ending? <laughs> <laughs> it might end with a vicious bloodbath. Uh, that's That's got the potential to happen. What are we going to talk about today? Well, we will look at Tom Boyd's incredible comments on Celtic TV. We'll take a look at the Betfred Cup draw and we'll discuss big money defenders coming to Scotland. Is our game a graveyard for big name signings? Okay, well, where else to start but Tom Boyd? Some interesting comments, uh, as I say, to Celtic Television when he was commentating on Celtic's clash with uh, Dunfermline in the Betfred Cup. After uh, Celtic were denied a penalty by referee John Beaton, he said, That's a penalty. It's a penalty kick. His arms were up in an unnatural position and it's a stonewall penalty. And once again, Celtic denied by decisions uh, by the referee and the referee has bottled that. This is an absolutely scandalous decision by John Beaton. We've seen that before on many occasions. It's unquestionably a penalty. It probably should have been a handball, but that was a stonewall penalty kick. It's clear. It's a penalty kick. In the light of day, he's putting his hand towards the ball, heading towards goal. What does John Beaton not know about the new rules? If he doesn't know that's a penalty, he should not be in the middle of the park refereeing a football game. And he adds, with a bit of salt... He'll probably be he'll probably be welcome down his pub tonight again. A reference to <sighs> um, stories uh, that came out of last uh, Rangers Celtic game. Uh, well, it was actually the, the last one that Beaton refereed uh, at the end of last year. Adam, you've uh, <laughs> been a, an, an observer of craziness uh, between Rangers and Celtic as part of your old form facts column, uh, a satirical com- column looking. Uh, uh, looking at um, events in Scottish football and obviously your Twitter account. How does this rate on the insanity scale? I mean, it's not it's not insane because it's relatively predictable. Um, the question is, though, is, is Boyd, when he's talking about his hands being in an unnatural position, is he referring to Beaton or the defender? Because I've not seen the incident and I don't know if he's trying to suggest that. No, he's talking about the defender. Yep. Um, so it's that thing about the, the natural silhouette that's come into the rules. Yeah, when he said his hand's in an natu- unnatural position, he didn't mean he was doing some sort of salute. Yeah, that's kind of what I was <laughs> implying. <laughs> anyway. Sorry, was that a joke? Did that go over my head? Sorry. Yes. Yeah, which, is first a, which, which is a good sign. So anyway, yeah, yeah, you yeah. can read my satirical columns <laughs> Monday and Friday on Football Scotland. Yeah, I think with Tom Boyd, I think it's, uh, it's pretty predictable. I don't think we should really uh, place too much importance on what Tom Boyd says on an official Celtic TV channel. I think some of the, if you consider the fact Boyd was on that anyone but Celtic documentary, um, he's not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider him the foremost authority when you're looking for a neutral perspective. <laughs> if you're watching Celtic TV, Rangers TV or any other in-house club TV station, you're not going there for impartiality. However, at the same time, there is a line, and I think Boyd probably crossed that line there, particularly with the reference to the pub thing, as you spoke about earlier in your piece about it. 
Um, that goes into the realms of the guy's private life and speculation, and we saw the extent to which that ended up in a serious situation earlier in the year. Um, I think, to be honest, I think Tom Boyd's just a guy who panders to a certain element of the Celtic fans. And you'll find guys like that, ex-pros, involved in the, whether it be the TV or whatever, so some kind of element of their club set up across the country. It's not just confined to Celtic. Uh, it's playing to the suspicions of a certain element of the support. Um, you can find guys doing that with Rangers as well, former pros. I'm sure if you analysed everything Nacho Novo ever said about a Rangers game, um, you'd be hard-pressed to take all of it seriously. But, as I said, I think the distinction there is that I think Boyd has crossed the line there. Do you agree, Kimi? Yeah, I would agree. I think the first half of it isn't so bad. He's obviously upset in the moment. Uh, at Celtic TV, you expect a certain Celtic bias, Celtic perspective, but I think it does cross the line when he essentially says that that Beaton is, is biased against Celtic. You know, I mean, I think Tom Boyd is sort of king of the Celtic dads, but yeah. he's, he's gone too far there. And, I mean, the fact of the matter is you can criticise referees. The standard of refereeing in this country is dreadful, right? I'm just, there's, I don't think there's any getting around that. But they're not biased. They're not competent enough to mm-hmm. put together a conspiracy. It's, I, I didn't actually see the incident. Um, I'll take it at face value that it should have been a penalty. I'll take what Tom Boyd says at face value that it should have been a penalty. Criticise Beaton for not giving the penalty. Criticise him for getting it wrong. But then if you'd, you know, given the implication that, oh, he's a Rangers fan and he drinks in Rangers pubs and that's why he didn't give it, it's ridiculous. And as Adam said, and as I think you've said, Johnny, it does have real world implications for a guy like that. That, you know, that there are people who sadly are don't not perhaps the most rational of people and you don't know what those kind of people are going to do and you don't those are not the kind of people you want to be um sort of frothing up to get getting angry telling them there's some big conspiracy going on against celtic that's celtic by the way who've won all nine <laughs> of the last uh domestic trophies going so it's not a very good conspiracy if there is one which there isn't i'd like to make very clear yeah i think if what he'd said if he'd stopped before the before talking about you know whatever pub he drinks in okay it'd be kind of funny it'd be like you know if you you get the rangers tv commentary sometimes you know famously what's the goalie doing tom it'd be one of those ones that you'd be like oh that's quite funny he's just having a bit of a meltdown here and i think the 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 criticism in in that aspect that oh you know that's a penalty he's got that wrong that's fine i think it crosses the line when you go into he didn't give that penalty because it's against celtic and because he's biased gaby makes a really good point talking about the difference between a conspiracy theory and just pure ineptitude and incompetence that whether it be football politics or any other walk of life 99% of conspiracy theories can be explained by incompetence the idea if you take one out of thin air if you take say 9-11 the idea that America planned it or whatever the idea that a George Bush led administration would be smart enough to conduct this incredible uh, seismic event without anyone having any idea and any way of stopping it is it's entertaining for the tinfoil hat brigade but the the fact is if you genuinely believe all these conspiracy theories that points to some kind of unresolved frustration in your life and it says more about you than it does about the people that you're accusing and you see a lot of it in football and the thing is as well you see some of it in teenagers and young guys in their 20s or whatever but the vast majority of these guys are over 40 these are like these are guys that have just been for 25 30 however long years just constantly moaning and 
feeling that there's some kind of agenda against them, whether it's in football or whatever else. And you just think, as Gaby said, Celtic have won nine trophies on the bounce domestically. Enjoy that. Like These people, if you follow them on Twitter, which you know I try not to do, but if you look at what they say on Twitter, at least like 80% of it is devoted to what Rangers are doing or what the brackets MSM are saying about Rangers or Sevco or whatever. And you think, your team is now the establishment team. Your team is now the dominant force in Scottish football. Just enjoy that. You're supposed to enjoy that and lord it over your rivals. Don't. It's like they've not been able to shift this inferiority complex and it really should be Celtic fans laughing at Rangers rather than Celtic fans going, why did this journalist say this about Rangers and why did this referee do this? And go... I, I just think it's such a strange you've way got, to you're live gonna, your life. You're going to have the 9-11 truthers on us now for that comment. <laughs> so I'd just like to say that jet fuel can't melt steel betons. <laughs> now my joke from earlier gets a pass. <laughs> Gabby, do you get a sense that this is ramping up, this uh, conspiracy element? Because we're looking at, for the first time in many a year, that it's going to be a tight title race. That's certainly how I perceive it, and I think a lot of commentators perceive it. Um, is is there a sense that people are starting to feel the heat a little bit? Yeah, and I think you get you get it from both sides. Go on, you know, um, the Rangers fan forum, a Celtic fan forum. They both think that again. I'm not saying all um, Rangers and Celtic fans and the people who post on forums, as we know, are not necessarily uh, the most well balanced of individuals. But both sides think that there's some refereeing conspiracy against them. You know, if you go on Rangers media, all oh, they'll do everything to stop us getting 55. If you go to the Celtic, all oh, they'll do everything to stop us getting 10 in a row. They don't want this to happen. Do you know what I mean? So. Yeah, I think the the conspiracy is ramping up, and I think the closer the title race is, the more you're going to see of that, because then then every refereeing decision becomes much more important, whether they're right or wrong. So if, for example, one week Rangers drop points, they, they draw, that lets Celtic go clear at the top by two points or whatever, and Rangers feel they should have had a penalty, you're going to see hundreds of conspiracy theories that such and such a referee didn't give this penalty because he's a Celtic fan and he went to this school or whatever, or... As we saw with Tom Boyd, you'll get it the other side that if it's Celtic that drop points, if Celtic are struggling. I mean, that's the other point about this, that you shouldn't be needing a referee to give you a penalty an extra time at home to Dunfermline. <laughs> exactly. it's classic deflection. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, the, yeah. That that's the issue, is that John Beaton didn't give you a penalty. It's not that you couldn't beat Dunfermline at home without going to extra time, having yeah. been 1-0 up. Well, the, I was just going to say, that the, the thing about all this is, Celtic over the years have had loads of bad decisions against them but do you know who else has had loads of bad decisions against them? Literally every single other football team in the entire world and the thing about Celtic is the more a and this applies to Rangers and it applies to the top few teams in every league there are always going to be more contentious penalty shouts involving those teams attacking because those teams attack more often than other teams so if you go to a Celtic game the chances are there's either going to be a penalty or a penalty shout at some point because Celtic are that dominant in the game unless it's a European game <laughs> um, and you you know Celtic are going to be in and out of the penalty area for 75% of that game that naturally increases the chances of there being some kind of controversy in the penalty box. On behalf of Celtic Daz everywhere and uh, as a wee tribute to Quentin Tantino, I reject your hypothesis, sir. Anyway, we're going to move on to another couple of uh, viral videos because obviously we know Tom Boyd went uh, a bit crazy on Twitter with regards to his comments, but there was two others 
this week that <laughs> we're causing a bit of consternation, a bit of a stir. I'm going to start with you, Gaby, on John McGlynn. Explain. So it's after, it's after the game at the weekend. Jo- so, excuse me. John McGlynn is speaking to uh, the fan TV for for Wraith Rover. So it's not even that he's speaking to some biased MSM representative. <laughs> He's speaking to someone from Wraith Rovers TV and... Oh, he, you don't know how deep this goes. <laughs> <laughs> and he asks a fairly innocuous question that, you know, do we need to get players in? We had a couple of trialists because uh, is the squad a bit thin? And he basically just takes exception to this for some reason. and goes, can you count? Can you count? Obviously, the squad's a bit thin in a just really patronising and demeaning way, knowing, as he does, that the guy can't tell him to F off because he'll get sacked from his job. Yeah. It'll go in the Louvre one day uh, as a perfect encapsulation of passive aggression. Yeah. It was uh, quite something. Now, Adam, the other one, I think, is probably... Yeah, it's even more spectacular than John McGlynn. It's not even in the same category as John McGlynn. It's, it's a disaster. <laughs> it's a catastrophe. Who else but Mr. Tommy Sheridan discussing Neil Lennon? Diet George Galloway, yeah. Um, it was. It's the sort of video that, if it wasn't for the fact that Tommy Sheridan's got a public profile, if I didn't know who the guy was, my instinct as someone who's been in and around Twitter for years would be to think, this is a Rangers fan doing this for a laugh to take the piss <laughs> out Celtic fans. Because it hits so many of those sort of classic Celtic that touchstones. Um, mainly this one that you're just not allowed to criticise the team because other bad things have happened before. Um, And there's this element of the Celtic support who are somehow being entitled and spoilt for having the audacity to think that Celtic should have been able to see out a lead against Cluj at Celtic Park with 14 minutes remaining and even have the audacity to think that Callum McGregor should have maybe been played in midfield or something. You know, it's just... He keeps talking about how uh, he's, you know, people call him a Neil Lennon apologist. And if standing up for Neil Lennon, the man who's suffered XYZ in Glasgow, makes him a Neil Lennon apologist, then by God, he's a Neil Lennon apologist. But it just it's just empty rhetoric, all this stuff, right? With Lennon, I think you can absolutely... People are capable, despite Brexit and Trump and all the rest of it, some people are still capable of holding two thoughts in their head at the same time. So you can be a Celtic fan and think, I empathise with the horrible things that Neil Lennon has endured throughout his various spells in Glasgow, the physical and verbal stuff. That stuff is all horrible. And at the same time, he shouldn't have played Callum McGregor at left-back and he should have been able to be savvy enough to see that game out with 14 minutes remaining. Thinking one of those things doesn't contradict the other, but the way Sheridan talks is just a total lack of nuance, and it's just, no, you cannot speak ill of Lennon because he's a proper Celtic man and he's done this, that, and the rest. You can empathise with everything Lennon's gone through, but if you seriously think Celtic fans are not entitled to complain about going out of the Champions League, losing the gravitas of being a Champions League club, the massive financial windfall that it would entail... And not just going out to a huge team in the qualifiers and having a bad luck with the draw. Before, when Celtic were drawn with Cluj, before the first leg was played, most people assumed, difficult game, but Celtic will come through it. Bit of a test, but they'll do it. Then they went and drew away from home. Vital away goal. Should be a fairly straightforward one at Celtic Park. And then again, 14 minutes to go and they're still winning in that tie. 
So I th- I think it'd be ridiculous for Celtic fans not to question that, and I, I think that's just Tommy Sheridan's got this old school mentality of respect, respect, respect at all times, and sometimes you just have to be. A no, bit that more was respect was Galloway. <laughs> that was his part. His respect was his actual party. <laughs> no, that was Galloway. <laughs> all right, okay. <laughs> no, that was solidarity was, yeah. right, yeah. and he was showing solidarity <laughs> with Lennon. But um, yeah, well, I assumed you, he was when I heard about the Tommy Sheridan growing a rant defending Lennon. I thought I, it was Vladimir. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've made the exact same joke in my piece of ah, it. Okay. Sorry, sorry I about you that. Would, I, I probably just wrote the piece because I knew if I didn't, you'd make the joke. <laughs> right, well, we've had yes. 9-11 conspiracy theories. We've had Lenin and socialism. And now I think we'll move on to something a little bit less contentious, which is the, <laughs> the Betfred Cup draw. Um, so, Do you want to do gambling and football, Johnny? Is no, we're definitely going to leave that, that for just now. Um, first tie that came out of the hat was Celtic Partick Thistle. Thistle obviously going through after a terrific win uh, against Premiership Ross County. Anyone see any problems with that draw for Celtic? Looks straightforward on paper, but given the way they'd be playing at the moment, perhaps not? Yeah, well, I mean, they struggled to get past Infermline, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, obviously, Celtic are huge favourites. I really can't see Partick Thistle getting through that. They haven't exactly had a good win at the weekend. They haven't had a great start to the season either. They've got a 50-year-old man up front. Um, Yeah, I I think Celtic will go through. I can't see Thistle getting through that. Adam, Kelly v Hibs. I'm going to take Kelly out of uh, Gaby's purview. (laughs) Um, That's a difficult one. It's it's hard to tell from one week to the next now what we're going to get with Kelly. I, I still think it's very early days with the Alessio thing. It's obviously been a terrible start with Connors Key Nomads and all the rest of it. Um, the ties aren't played, correct me if I'm wrong, ties aren't played to the end of September. Yeah. So I think it's quite hard to predict where Kelly are going to be five weeks from now, given that he'll certainly have a better idea uh, of what he's got to work with and the players will have a better understanding of what he's trying to do. Um, if you'd said to me right now, I'd say probably Hibs, but it'll be hard, you know, it's, it's a few weeks away. Gaby, in a battle of gorgeous footballing uh, performances, Hearts against Aberdeen. Well, to be fair, the first game of the season between them was a bit of a cracker. That so was that is absolutely true. I take it back. Yeah, because I mean, I think we were all predicting kind of an attritional affair there. I think Hearts are. If Jules was here, I think he'd say they were in the grubber. So um, <laughs> yeah, I think Aberdeen will get through that one. Although obviously Aberdeen are having problems of their own at the moment, um, but I think I think Aberdeen will go through that one. And Livingston v Rangers, complicated by the fact Rangers do not like that pitch one little bit, Adam. Yeah, they're not particularly into that pitch. I think more than anything else, though, that will just be a convenient excuse if Rangers fail to go through, which I don't see happening. I I think last season you'd be, as a Rangers fan, less confident about a game like that. You'd be looking at that as a real potential banana skin. I think you could see... You know, yesterday, I mean, obviously Livingston are a far better team than East Fife, but similar kind of situation in terms of really not ideal conditions, not a great pitch, but also just the howling wind and everything like that. And Rangers managed it with the minimum of fuss, which is not something that over the last few years you could have taken for granted. So I don't think Rangers are going to put three or four past them, but I think they'll go through relatively comfortably. Okay, well, we're going to move ahead to discuss a little bit the big money signings that came in, both for Rangers and Celtic in defence, all have struggled. Um, so, Philip Hellander comes in from Serie A with Bologna, £3.5 million, um, has just been left out of the squad to play against Legia Warsaw in the Europa League, so won't be involved in either game. 
And uh, over at Celtic, um, we've discussed in great detail volleyball and goalie and Bombo's uh, form. And then Christopher Julian, again, uh, said to be at fault for the Dunfermline goal yesterday. Hot on the heels of him being at fault for Motherwell's second goal um, in the game, uh, the first game of the season. Why is it so difficult, Gaby, do you think, um, for these guys to settle in? Uh, combined fees of £13.5 million for three players. I think a lot of people would have looked at it and thought, whoever is the better performer out of Hellander and Julian is going to have a very, very good chance of their side winning the league. It um, doesn't look like either are going to really play a lot at this stage. Yeah, you have to remember, though, that both players are in a in a new league, in a new country, which can be unsettling. You've got to remember with Hellander as well, Serie A doesn't start till this weekend, so you've got to ask where he is. Uh, he'll be obviously behind in his pre-season preparations because he'd have been preparing for Serie A starting this weekend and he's come into Scotland when Rangers are already in the midst of the season. So I wouldn't be overly panicked about that. You'd think that he'll probably, if they paid that kind of money for him, he is, he is a decent defender. You'd think that he'll come into the team throughout it. Uh, Julian, I saw the first half of the Celtic game and he nearly gave away a goal where he actually got muscled off the ball, which for a guy who's about six foot five and you know looks like as you wouldn't expect, that's maybe just a little bit. Uh, and Liga is a bit more physical than the sort of other top five leagues, but it's maybe not quite as physical as the Scottish game. He's maybe just not used to that. I think with both, it's it's early days to to be judging those kind of guys. If we get to November and they're still not in the team or they're still not performing, then they, then I think you want to worry. But I think it'll always take time for players to just to adapt to playing in a different football that they haven't played in before, to living in a new country. You know, it's a thing that you don't really think about. But for guys like this, you know, I mean, if you leave Bologna for Govan, you know, that's going to have a bit of an effect on you. <laughs> But, I mean, you're obviously moving country with your family. It can be, you know, unsettling. I mean, people, you know, people in any walk of life, if you move house or whatever, it can be a stressful time. I'm sure it's the same thing if you get a phone call one day, oh, by the way, you're going to Glasgow. It can take time to settle in and it can take time to settle in on the pitch. So I will boldly predict that by the end of the season, they'll both be uh, established in the Celtic and Rangers defences. Adam, is there a sense that perhaps £7 million doesn't buy you what it used to? Well, it definitely doesn't buy you what it used to, but it's hard to know from one season to the next what £7 million does buy you. The, the numbers just fluctuate so much now, and it's it's hard to... I mean, you, you see at the at the upper end of the market, you see things like even yesterday, uh, if Coutinho uh, agrees to stay on at Bayern after his loan, it's like £109 million or something like that. These figures just seem completely arbitrary. You've noted, like, if someone told me it was going to be sixty million for Coutinho, I'd have gone okay. And if someone told me it was going to be one hundred and thirty million for Coutinho, I'd have gone okay. I don't know what anything buys you anymore in football, if I'm honest. But uh, I think I think Gaby's pretty much right. I think there's a lot of, uh, particularly for defenders who are probably getting targeted by Scottish strikers or strikers in the Scottish Premiership and in the Cup. Uh, we're being told these guys are probably short in match fitness they're adjusting to a completely different pace of football just get at them get in their faces these are they're up against strikers who probably aren't of the same caliber as they're used to having played before but they're up against guys who know what scotch football is all about and at the moment these guys probably don't and it's an adjustment in terms of the pace and the culture and the rest of it so again as gaby says i think there's nothing to say that they won't 
turn it around and be successful. No, I remember when Freddie Dindaloo signed for Kilmarnock, the first few games everyone thought he'd be an absolute bomb scare and he went on to play like 200 games. It just takes time to adjust, I think. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, Gabe, but you're obviously a, a keen observer of Serie A, so you've seen Helander play for Bologna and presumably before that, I think it was uh, Verona. Verona, was yeah. Um, is it a case that it's a, it's a huge jump in terms of the style of play because in Serie A it's more about bringing the ball out it's more about um, not diving into tackles, one-on-ones. Whereas in Scottish football, you really are required to be a battler, someone who's physically capable. And if you, if you aren't comfortable in those areas, then you will struggle. As we saw with Fabio Cardoso, came into the Rangers side, looked a bargain in the first few games, um, and just could not cope with the physicality. Yeah, I think that's the, the, definitely the case. I mean, Hellander in Serie A was known as being quite a quite a physical, quite tough defender, maybe not necessarily great on the ball, but that's in, in a league where it is all about, I mean, being very tactically organised and, as you say, bringing the ball out from the back. You don't often see sort of long balls coming in. You know, your sort of classic Italian striker isn't like an Alan Shearer or whatever. They've obviously had guys like Christian Vieri and Luca Toni, but your classic Italian striker's more, you know, your Filippo Inzaghi or whatever, or or Francesco Totti obviously a different kind of player but it's not the sort of British style centre forward so I think for a guy then to come into Scotland when you know if you're going to be playing against Aberdeen you're going to be facing a lot of sort of crosses into the box a lot of physical play if you're playing hearts if you come up against a guy like Piezo, who technically obviously isn't as good as what Hellander would face in Serie A but physically is a very difficult guy to deal with I think it'll obviously take some getting used to and I think that's probably the same with uh, Julia as well. So yeah, I think I think it's just all about you know I think I think the perception that you could come into Scottish football and the standards lower, which it is, you know, that you think well these guys if they played in Serie A or Liga then they'll stroll it, but it's not necessarily the case. I mean, you know, look at Bruno Alves at Rangers, who I think was slightly unfairly maligned. Agreed, but. You know, he was at Rangers and it certainly wasn't a, a resounding success. He's gone back and he's still playing in Serie A with Parma. It just It's obviously just about a, a, adapting to a very different style of football and whether or not they can do it. One of the players that has come in that has done very, very well is Joe Aribo. He's been called outstanding by his manager. Have you been impressed with him, Adam? Yeah, someone was making the point earlier today that it's unusual for Gerard to be as emphatic in his praise of specific players as he was yesterday after the game about Aribo, he was just calling him a kind of all-rounder, so not just skillful, creative and capable of scoring goals, but also someone who'll put in the work and put in a tackle and win the ball back and all the rest of it. Um, he definitely does look a decent signing. It's, again, early in the season, so you don't want to make any sort of grand proclamations about the guy, but it definitely looks like one of the smarter signings Rangers have made. That's a good point Adam makes. We thought he was going to be a number 10 or certainly something more approximate to that, Gaby, but he's very good at winning the ball in deep positions. He drops in to, um, to the hole to pick up the ball from the defenders at times. Do you see him as an all-rounder or do you see him as someone age 23 who Gerard will want to develop into that attacking player? Because he's got that skill set where you think, get him into the final third because he'll cause problems. He glides past players. Um, he's a good dribbler. He's got a good shot. 
I think I've said before on the podcast, he's sort of he's got a bit of Paul Pogba about him now. I'm not obviously saying he's anywhere near as good as Paul Pogba, but in R. terms I. of RIP your mentions, yeah, well, quite. <laughs> but you know, in terms of the you know the sort of sort of rangey stride he has, you know, the fact that he can dribble through tight areas, but he'll you know he's he's obviously got that physical component to his game as well. Um, he can score goals as we've seen so far. I think he is a sort of real all-round player and the kind of guy who, at 23, you think he spent a couple of seasons up here and he'll probably get what a move to the Premier League. Certainly based on what I've seen of him so far, obviously as the caveat always is it's early days. But yeah, he looks to me like a sort of all-round sort of modern midfielder, like just capable of you know really doing it all. Okay, maybe he's probably not as good defensively as some of the other players in that team, but he can do that job. He can do the physical side of it, but he's also got that great skill as well. Okay, that's all from us here at Football Scotland for today. We'll be back tomorrow before 4pm just in time to make your daily work commute that little bit more bearable. You can get more from us at the Football Scotland website on our social media channels. We're at Facebook and Twitter at Football underscore Scott. To ask a question or to make a comment to us individually, you can call, you can contact me at Johnny R. McFarlane. You can contact Adam at Old Fun Facts 1 and Gaby at Gaby McKay. Until tomorrow, thanks for listening.